You are now tuned in to the December 26th podcast, where we encourage you to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. What's up, 26er family? Welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and this episode features reporter and writer Christian Winfield. Christian studied broadcast journalism at Hampton University, so his current role seems fitting. But like most 26ers, his path to get there was not exactly a straight one. Christian interned at ESPN and eventually reported on the Knicks for About.com, but the site shut down its sports section after only a year. He now covers the NBA for SB Nation, but Christian's journalism career has had other challenges. On his 25th birthday, he woke up in the emergency room with his face slashed, and as a result, any and all TV work he was getting as a reporter dried up. But Christian eventually got his career back on track, and in the process of working on bettering himself, expanded his professional interests to include his culinary skills. So he takes us through his story, which is really fascinating and one of persevering, even when you've had a really traumatic incident happen in your life. So go ahead, take a listen, and I hope you enjoy. Christian. Yes. Welcome to the December 26th podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. You're looking like all chill, despite the fact that we're in this super cold, raw space right now. <laughs> I had a long night. So I'm still recovering. <laughs> all right. So we got to make sure we draw the, the energy out of yeah, you no, for no, sure. Awesome. So tell me, who is Christian Winfield? That's a loaded question, to be honest. Who am I? Of course it's loaded. <laughs> Christian Winfield is somebody who is constantly trying to be better today than he was yesterday. And that can be a gift and a curse because you always feel like you should be doing better. But sometimes you need to take time to to realize what you've done so far. Um, Christian Winfield is a kid from Brooklyn who grew up here, went away to school, went to Hampton, had the whole HBCU experience, Mm -hmm. um, dreamed of being a sports reporter in high school, did everything he needed to do in college, graduated and became a sports reporter after that. And uh, Christian Winfield is someone who's been through his fair share of stuff. So, Mm -hmm. you know, he's someone that's growing on a consistent basis. And I feel like growth doesn't stop. So for sure, that's where that's where that's who Christian Winfield is. So where do you think that inherent drive to be better comes from? Do you think it was there from the beginning or something you developed over time? Um, It's absolutely from my mother. Um, She was big in fashion. She was the design director of Rock Aware and Darion and Calvin Klein Mm -hmm. Kids. And uh, from young, she was always just like, hey, you got to focus. You gotta, yeah, you know, so you have to put your mind on something and, and take it all the way through. And um, just, you know, I would work with her over the summers, you know what I'm saying? I would go to her job and make my little 850 an hour mm-hmm. for the summer. And, uh, Which is good money when yeah, you're a kid, right? The eighth grade, ninth grade, 850 <laughs> an hour. That's, that's, that's video game money. That's a lot of money. But um, nah, um, she would be, you know, in meetings. She had meetings with Jay-Z. She had meetings with Beyonce, Beyonce's mom, all types of people. And just her being in that environment and dealing with so many big names and me seeing her being successful was like, how could I not be, mm-hmm. you know? Like, I'm not, I gotta, I gotta one-up her. I can't, I can't be the one that did didn't do it. So, you know, I, I definitely get it from her. And just being in, in Bed-Stuy, I grew up here and just being around so many people that are like, hey, you, you need to, you know, don't don't be in the streets, go do this. Mm-hmm. Like, that's real. You have people that are that are out that, that wish they were doing what I did or wish that they didn't go down the path that they do. So, you know, just hearing from them and, and learning from people that came before me is how I kind of kept my eye on the process. 
So were you academically as driven? Like, I got to get the best grades possible. Definitely not. <laughs> I wish I was. Then I wouldn't have student loans. That's a fact. But um, no, I was more so driven in like, okay, I know that I need to be in a journalism school. I know that I want to be a NBA reporter when I graduate. So I need to do these things to get there. So I kind of worked in reverse. I knew I wanted to be back home. I knew I wanted to be covering the Knicks. And, uh, you know, I kind of said, all right, well, if I'm going to be taken serious when I graduate college, I need to have these internships. So I did mm -hmm. all these internships. I met the right people. Uh, I got a little lucky. And um, that's normally how it happens. You know, it's like a perfect storm of things. Uh, but it was by no means by grades. Like my grades were very average. Um, I just knew what it was that I wanted to do. Got it. So what drove your choice to go to an HBCU? Um, HBCU chose me, actually. I went to uh, Benjamin Banneker. And uh, if anyone is from Brooklyn and they listen to this, they know that Banneker is kind of like an HBCU of high schools mm -hmm. in Brooklyn. And uh, Hampton came. They came. They, they looked at my grades. They looked at what I wanted to. They're like, oh, you're exactly the kind of student we want to have. Uh, you should come on a tour. I went on a tour, loved it. And at that point, I just stopped considering other schools. I was going to go to Temple because mm -hmm. uh, my uncle had worked there. Um, and I decided to go to Hampton. It was just so crazy. At that point, I, I had never seen so many beautiful girls. It was crazy, <laughs> to be honest. And um, I was like, you know what? This is the spot for me. I should have. If, the, if there was one thing I could have done over, it would be get better grades in high school because I would not have had to take student loans out. But I don't, I don't have any regrets. But my mom often talks about the story of dropping my brother Demarcus, the producer of the show, off at an HBCU <laughs> and seeing all the young women yeah. and being like, my son does not stand a chance. Here. Yeah, it was the, if, it, if it wasn't for seeing those women at Hampton, I wouldn't have lost weight because when I first <laughs> I was probably about 260 pounds. What? Yeah. And then I had to take a summer or I take a year off because my mother had lost her job and she was mm -hmm. paying out of pocket. And I was like, right, there's no way I'm not about to go back to Hampton the same, the same size. So I lost like 80 pounds in a year and a half. And uh, yeah, shout outs to the girls. You were like, I got to come here as the best version yeah, yeah. of myself. <laughs> and it went down. That was that's exactly how that happened. So you get to Hampton, um, immerse yourself in that experience. Yes. And did you immediately start to try to kick open doors for the work that you wanted to do professionally? Absolutely. So like my first week at Hampton, I made sure I went to the school newspaper. I was like, mm -hmm. all right, well, I'm going to write I want to be on the sports. They didn't even want to put me on the sports team, even though I already had internship experience in high school writing and sports. We're like, no, 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 we want you to do general assignment stuff. So I was just writing on the newspaper. But when someone has their mindset on something, you can't keep it away from them for too long. So I just kept doing the work. And then eventually I, I got one sports story and then I got more sports stories. And then it kind of just grew from there. So um, for me, it was more so like I knew I wanted to go to Hampton to have fun, but I knew that the goal at the end of all of that was to put myself in a position to get the job that I wanted to do. And for me to do that, I had to start in the newspaper and then branch out from there. And I did. I eventually took over. I became the sports editor and then I became the editor in chief of the entire newspaper. So uh, definitely when I got there, I had my, my mindset on what it was that I wanted to do. So you mentioned that you had to take the year off. Was that before you started as a freshman? No, that was between my freshman and my sophomore year. Okay. I had to end up doing five. I did five years in total. So got it. that year. So it was kind of restarting as a freshman when I came back almost. OK, which is crazy. So you came for a year and did mm -hmm. you walk onto the paper at that point or try to work? The yeah, paper my first freshman year, okay. my very first year I walked on. All right. Paper. So you worked on the paper, you're doing your thing. And mm -hmm. then your mom says. Yeah, she was like, yeah, if you don't have any uh, scholarships or if you're not about to take out a big loan, you got to bring your ass back home. And uh, that's what I did. I went home. I did some uh, some classes at Mega Everest College, mm -hmm. which is like a community college in Brooklyn. Um, I got a job working at American Eagle. I'll never forget that. Worst job I ever had because I was in stock and uh, it was just not not it. And then, um, yeah, I got a letter from Hampton saying they had a $5,000 scholarship for me, which is better than zero. Mm -hmm. um, I weighed my options. I took out a loan and uh, I went back and 
that was one of the best decisions in the moment. Because now it's like, I wish I didn't take out that loop. Right. But at the same time, it's like, it is what it is. I had a ball. But take me back to like, you've done a year. Yeah. So, you know, the people who we've had on the show, who I know personally, mm -hmm. DeMarcus's stories, being at an HBCU is a very unique experience. Absolutely. And it's something <laughs> that I've never heard anybody look back on negatively, right? Yeah, no, so um, having gone to a PWI, I, I'm kind of sad that I don't have that sentimental recollection. Have you ever been of, to a homecoming? To like Hampton or Howard? And I have or, not. Wow. Yes, I have not been to a homecoming. Right. I've been, I take that back. I was in D.C. for um, law school. Okay. So okay, okay, certain right, like right. Howard homecoming events, yeah. I would go to like the <laughs> step shows and all of that. Right, but right, right. I haven't been like front to back. I'm there for that purpose. That's, a, that's an experience. Yes. Yeah. So you like, so you get, you're integrated into that world. And not mm -hmm. only that, you're, you're you're honing your chops yeah. in your chosen field. And then you got to come home yeah. and go to Mega Everest and work in stock at American Eagle. What were you feeling? Like, what was going through your mind at that point? And mind you, I'm away at school and now I have to go back and live at home with my mom right. and my stepfather and my family. So with I questions kinda, about where are you going exactly, and what are you doing? Yeah, yes. It was, it was, it was, uh, it was like a, it was almost like a culture shock, like mm -hmm. from living on your own and kind of having a roommate. And I didn't even have a roommate my second semester. So I was living by myself, basically. Oh, you were living the life yeah, as no, a freshman. I was, having, I was having a good old time, me and myself. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I went back and it was more like, okay, well, you have to be in school. Yes, but you, we're not going to just sit here and give you money. You got to go get a job. Mm -hmm. You got to go do all these things to take care of yourself. And then during that same time, I did this thing called the Landmark Forum, um, which was an, a ridiculous experience. That was wild. It kind of just like opens your mind up. I can't even really explain it, but um, I did that and... It was just a, that was a, a moment where I had to like really focus in and figure out what it was that I wanted to do. Because a lot of people go to college and then once they leave, they don't go back. Like right. there's, there's a rate of that's like maybe 90 something percent where people will leave a college and they won't go back. But they go that. back like a hundred years later. Yeah, exactly. Like, way I, wasn't, later. I was mm -hmm. trying to have that be me. So um, I just like had my mindset to I'm going back. I kept in touch with a lot of people. What helped was I had a best friend in high school that actually went back to Hampton with me and we graduated together. Wow. Um, so we kind of did it together and I went to Mega. I was with him too. But yeah, for me, it was just focusing on and not forgetting that, hey, you know, I did all this time at Hampton. I'm, I'm trying to go back. I mm -hmm. missed that. I, I went back for homecoming. I went back another weekend just to go down there. So I was I was hell bent on getting back no matter what I do. So how did you reintegrate into the writing world or the things that you, you know, that were on par to where you wanted to go in your career once you got back on campus. <clears throat> that that was interesting because when I got back to school, I'm in class with a lot of people that are younger than me because mm -hmm. I had to take a year off and I'm coming back and I'm taking a journalism 101 class with people who were freshmen when or were high school seniors when I was a freshman. So I kind of felt like I don't need to be in this mm -hmm. class. But, you know, it was just it kind of that kind of opened me up because I had to make friends with people that I wasn't expecting to, to be friends. They were like lower classmen in my eyes, but mm -hmm. we were the same. We were all in the same classes. Um, And then after that, I like I told you, I lost a lot. I lost a lot of weight. So I wanted to get on TV. I wanted to do a lot of broadcast stuff. Mm -hmm. I was trying to mix it up. So um, at that point, I was kind of spreading my wings. But the work I had done freshman year on the newspaper, the sports editor at the time remembered me and she was like, no, no, we want you on the team. And I was writing for them. That was Olivia. She's in uh, Michigan now. But um, really for me, it was freshman year. The work I had put in had kind of they didn't forget about that, you know? And uh, when I had come back, it kind of made it a lot easier. Cause like, oh, you really came back? Okay, well here, take this story. And then after that, I did sports editor, a lot of other stuff. So for me, it was just because I, I remembered or because I, I stayed focused on that. I did an internship when I was away from school when I was still, when I had to go back home, I had to do an internship with Bleacher Report. Um, I did a lot of internships. I made sure I was still had my hands in a lot of writing. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't get rusty. And because I loved it, I really enjoyed it. So because I, I enjoyed it, it was it was nothing almost. And passion makes a difference. Yeah, it definitely when, does. When 
you have these obstacles, but it's something that you 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 know, like in your knowing yeah. that this is part of the reason that you were put on the planet. This is what you were meant to do. Absolutely. There's a different drive there. Yeah. And then sometimes you can have that passion and then you might lose it or you might f- feel you might find out oh this maybe my passion is over here you know mm-hmm. what i'm saying sometimes in that moment where you realize okay well i'm passionate about this but i'm also passionate about something else how do i branch out or integrate the two things um that is a a crucial moment i had that moment not too long and i'm still trying to figure out how to how to put the two things together for sure mm-hmm. so which i want to get into that for yeah, sure yeah, because yeah. i feel like we all go through an evolution where it's like <laughs> yeah, oh don't we uh I have multiple pa- passions and talents, oh, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so you, you come out of Hampton. Mm-hmm. What's your goal? Like, you, get, you have this degree now. Yeah. Where's where's the place that you want to land and where do you land? Um, I want to land back home. By all means, I want to go back to mm-hmm. New York. But I want to go there, you know, under the right circumstances. I get a post-grad fellowship that my dean plugged me into. Thank God for him because he was a godsend. Um, it was in D.C. It was at the Center for Public Integrity. It, was, it wasn't sports at all. I was mm-hmm. doing uh, environmental investigative reporting. I had to call the EPA three oh, times man. a week. They're like, talking to them is like talking to a couch. They don't want to <laughs> tell you anything. And then when they do talk to you, they're speaking in a language that you can't even really understand what they say. It was crazy. But, you know, from that experience, I learned how to really do interviews and how to really listen because if you're listening to the EPA and you realize they're not saying anything, it's mm-hmm. like, hey, no, 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 slow that down. Say that again. <laughs> um, so while I'm doing that internship in D.C., I'm kicking it with my boy Earl, who I went to pre-K through eighth grade Catholic school with. We're having a ball. Um, There's a job opening on Indeed, right? And it's for a New York Knicks writer at about.com. And about.com is not like a sports outlet. It's not ESPN. Right. It's about.com. But it's it's a New York Knicks reporter, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna apply. I over-applied. I sent them clips. I sent them a, I remember I sent them a SWOT analysis, which has nothing to do with journalism whatsoever. (laughs) I was about to say that were you applying for a business role? Yeah, no, but I told them on there, I said, hey, you guys are doing this well you're not doing this so well these are areas you can grow and the guy calls me goes hey you're someone that we need on our team so I go I get that job my my internship in DC ends I go back home I have this about.com job I'm working I'm working at Black Ink the the tattoo shop the tattoo you, wait yeah so was, Black Ink re- of reality TV fame I, yeah, yeah, yeah I was I was working for VH1 at the time I was a PA on the set okay uh, that was an entire that I'm sure that was an experience yeah no that was wild <laughs> <laughs> but at a certain point for me it was those days were 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. and if I'm going to be a sports reporter, I need to have those some of those days open. The, the money wasn't good enough for me to like put my dream to the side. So I left VH1 or I was working for Big Fish at the time. I left Big Fish. I uh, got a job at Verizon, which was more of a set schedule. And I was still able to go to games. And then uh, I wrote enough stories that SB Nation saw me and they go, hey, um, we want to hire you as an NBA writer for us. Full time benefits, everything. And uh, that was a little over three years ago. And here I am now. That is the story of how I got to where I am. I guess the abridged version. I was about to say that's an abridged. That's the <laughs> yeah. abridged version because yeah. I know, um, based on the conversation we had before, yeah. that it wasn't just all about the writing. Yeah, you had aspirations to be and on like TV, right? Have that on yeah, TV thing, yeah. right? The so, goal for me was to be on ESPN. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you're if you're a sports reporter, sometimes they'll call you like, hey, we need you to do a TV hit really quickly. Talk right. about the Knicks, talk about the Nets. Okay, cool. I'm going to hop on talking to somebody on camera. You know, there's a lot of different things I was trying to do. So I was definitely trying to do both video and, and written. So were you doing on-camera work? Um, At a certain point, yeah. When I was, when I first started at SB Nation, I was doing a series with CNN in the Philippines. They would, they would call me every other month or 
so like, hey, why don't you talk about the Knicks, talk about the Nets for us? So that was CNN. CNN in Philippines. Yeah, okay. I have that on there, which is pretty dope. Um, I had a couple other short uh, video hits that I did. And then I did something with uh, Eater, which is our food blog. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to NBA players who eat at the Cheesecake Factory, which mm-hmm. is crazy. And um, they were talking about that. So yeah, I, I was dabbling in video, but I didn't, I had a print background, not a broadcast background. So mm-hmm. I was still kind of getting my feet wet in that area. Okay. So you're getting your feet wet as, you know, on care, on camera personality yeah. and what happens? Um, let's see. It was, sheesh. Now I gotta, I gotta kind of re- relive all that almost. It was my 25th birthday, which was, I'm about to turn 27 this year. It's kind of crazy how time flies. Mm-hmm. Um, it was my 25th birthday. Um, the day before, well, two days before my 25th birthday, I had done a really, really good story on the Nets. And immediately after that story, the Knicks kind of like revoked my credential. Like they do that for writers, right? Randomly, whenever they want. They revoked somebody else's oh, really? credential last year. Yeah, they revoked my credential two years ago. They revoked Bondi's credential this year. They, they, they The way they do things is kind of crazy. But like I had a high and then a really, really low so the for, same day. So for people who don't understand how like media works and yeah. press works, what does it mean to have your credential revoked? That, so, so if they, you need a credential to get into any any like media event. Mm-hmm. Or so if I want to go to a Knicks game, I need to have a credential on me. Um, they basically said, hey, we're not giving you any more credentials for the year. And they didn't give a reason why either, which is crazy. I was like, what, what is going on? And then later on, I found out that they just, it's just something that they do. They don't, I, I still haven't gotten an explanation why. Mm-hmm. But so the same day I do some really, really good work at Barclays, I find out I'm not going back to Madison Square Garden again for the rest of the season, which was a bummer. Um, and then the next day was my birthday weekend. So I'm going out. Um, it was also holiday, Halloween weekend. Let um, me pause you there, though. Go ahead. You getting your credentials revoked, does that affect your money as well? It doesn't necessarily affect my okay. money, but it affects the access that I have. So Got if I it. wanted to write, so sometimes teams will play the Knicks and the Nets in the same weekend because mm-hmm. they're both like right next to each other, but sometimes they won't. So if a team comes to play the Knicks and I can't go there, I have to wait maybe three, four weeks until they come to play Got the it. Nets. And that kind of just makes things difficult, but it doesn't make things undoable. You right. Know? Like it's still, it's just, it's just annoying to be mm-hmm. honest. And then I can't be around the Knicks or talk to them, which right. is stupid, but. So you have your high and low, yeah. then you roll into your birthday weekend. Yeah. Okay, set the scene. Um, I started my birthday. I went up to Harlem with my boy Omari, who is now my roommate. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to the gym. Uh, we definitely got to work out. We jogged to the gym. We did a lot of weightlifting. Then we came back and then we ate. Um, I was trying to cut down at that point, so I didn't eat a lot, which mm-hmm. was a mistake because I knew I should have known that I was going to be drinking my life away on my mm-hmm. birthday. Um, so I eat a little bit, and then we go back to his house. I take a shower, everybody's showering, and then people are starting to pause. people are starting to file in. So we 10, 15 people come into his apartment. Everybody's got a bottle, right? Everybody mm-hmm. has. I had champagne. I had Jameson. Some people brought Henny. Some people brought all different types of liquor. Um, it was both of our birthdays, so we're just drinking everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we end up going to a club called Fig and Olive that night. I uh, haven't been to Fig and Olive since then. Um, and we had planned it. We had a bottle. We had a table there. I completely forgot I had a bottle waiting for me there. So after drinking all the, all that dark liquor, I have a bottle of Don Julio there waiting. Oh, yeah, man. so this is going yeah. south from there. Um, I get there, having a ball. We get outside. I left my wallet at home, right? So I don't have my wallet at home. Everybody's like, all right, we're going to get you in either way. So everybody pulls cash together for me to get inside. Um, to be honest, a lot of the rest of the night from there was a blur. Um, I remember getting to the table. We pick up the bottle. Everybody's drinking some Don Julio. And I say, all right, peace, guys. Run around the club, run around the club with a bottle of Don Julio. Like, I'm 25 years old. It's my birthday. Why not? Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing I remember happening at the club was a song called Palance Coming On, which is one of my favorite songs. Um, it was definitely Palance. And, and I had a bottle of uh, Don Julio in my hand. And then um, at that point, it really, a lot of the night becomes a blur. Um, a lot of my friends said that they saw me leaving 
Um, but they said I was leaving with some girls, so they figured I had found out what I was doing for the rest of the night, and mm-hmm. they didn't want to interrupt. I was like, I, I can respect that. Um, I, a lot of times I'll get drunk, and I'll be like, I, I want to go find some food, right? So I'll leave and go get some food. I didn't have my wallet on me, mm-hmm. so I couldn't get any food no matter what I was doing, and I couldn't get back into the club. So at that point, I'm just wandering throughout the city. Um, at this point, I don't remember any of this. I'm, I'm telling you what the detective tells sure. me because I'm, I'm hearing it secondhand from him because that's how drunk I was. I don't remember any of it. He goes, you know, there's cameras that catch you stumbling up and down a block. You end up getting into an argument with the halal truck driver, uh, which makes sense because I ordered food without a, without a wallet. So I'm like, OK. And then he says there's a fight that breaks out up the block at a corner store, but you're kind of just sitting down watching the fight, screaming at him. I was like, OK, that sounds like something a drunk person would do. And then um, he says this video of me stumbling up a street but the video cuts there. There's no more cameras, mm-hmm. whatever direction I was going. And um, I just remember waking up that night, like there was, it was, it felt like there was rain on my right side of my face. You know, it felt like I was in a fight and somebody slapped me and I was like ready to fight. And then like, it was just raining on the side of my face. And I remember vividly there being like blood on my watch. Cause I always wear a watch no matter where mm-hmm. I go. And I looked down and it was like blood all over my watch. And then uh, I don't even remember how any, like I don't remember how the rest of that night goes. Like I remember, I FaceTimed my ex-girlfriend just because that night, like we were like talking, but like it was a long distance mm-hmm. thing. So we still loved each other, but it was, that's a long, I, even that's a long story, but I FaceTimed her and uh, she sees me bloody cheek and all. Someone just sliced me in the face, which is crazy. Um, I end up in an ambulance and they're kind of like putting all this stuff on me. They rush me to a hospital. My brother's there because he works in medicine. He's, he works at HSS, a hospital mm-hmm. with special surgery. And he's kind of telling the people what to do and what not to do. Um, and the rest of that night is a blur. I remember walking out of the hospital and I remember the daily news coming the next day to talk to me about getting sliced in the face which is crazy um and my life changed at that point to be honest like I went through like a week of like serious depression Mm because the same friends that I went out with and I had to go you know what I'm saying? I, I went to the emergency room and whatever. They were talking about going out the next day. And I'm like, are y'all about to go out? And y'all using the same group chat that I was right. in. I just got cut in the face. And y'all about to go turn up again. Like It was crazy. Um, and uh, yeah, that was the moment that my life changed kind of so in some ways for the better because I'm, I'm thinking completely differently now, but in some ways for the worse because I have a, a big old scar on my face. So it's kind of wild. So you don't remember... Getting into an altercation. No, I mean, I remember like little blips of it. I remember someone pulling out a knife or I don't even know if it was a knife. I remember someone pulling someone pulling out something sharp um, and I'm like, yo, you got it. Because I like, got a certain point. It's like, yo, if you got a knife, I don't. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm good. You know what I'm saying? If you don't have a knife, we could throw hands. But if you're trying to trying to stab me, I don't, I don't want no problems with right. that. Um, I didn't have my wallet on me, so I don't know if they were trying to rob me and I didn't have a wallet and he got frustrated or whatever, but I don't remember what anything was about. And that's the scariest part for me is that like, I don't know if I did anything to provoke because mm-hmm. I was drunk. I could have said something, who knows, but I also could have not said anything, but I don't remember anything. So that was the scariest. That woke me up to how much I drink and I need to stop drinking and it was just a whole bunch of stuff. And uh, another another uh, positive to that is my uh, father came back. I, I hadn't been in contact with my father at that point for since high school. So mm-hmm. from high school to a little after I graduated college, me and my father didn't really have a relationship. And uh, he drank a lot. He went through his entire alcohol, alcoholism and everything. He said he didn't stop drinking until he like broke both of his wrists because he fell down a flight of stairs drunk and he kind of just like put his hands out and they both broke. So um, I had really not had a relationship with my pops uh, after high school just because like 
at first we lived in Fort Greene and then we moved to Bedside. My mother and my father were never like together. So um, we moved and then actually moved. My brother starts talking. Then my mother starts talking bad about my father. And from there, it's just like I'm conditioned to where, okay, this is not a guy that I should probably be around. He smokes all the time. He's smoking cigarettes all day. I don't need to be around that. And I just kind of equated that with, okay, this is not someone that I should be attached to. 10 years later, or five, six, seven, however many years later, it's like, oh no, this is like where I get half of me. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And then when I kind of meet him again, I met him again after the whole incident and he was like hey I heard what happened to you we should hang out again uh-uh. and then we just kind of kicked it off and now I was like hey that's kind of I just went to his house yesterday you know what I'm saying like that's my pops and I met an entire half I met his whole side of the family lives in Miami I have a I have a cousin that's like my little sister now mm-hmm. so um that was something that happened as a result of of that whole incident but um yeah now nah, it's crazy how things kind of come full circle almost when something either goes really good or really bad right and in in that meeting what did you discover about him because he had a drinking problem as well. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he had a heavy drinking problem. And he was like, hey, you know, that's where you get it from. He was like, you might not want to say you have a problem, but if you can't go out and, and be okay with just three drinks, then you have a problem. And normally after drink three, I forget however many I have more. Mm-hmm. So he was just like, you know, all right, well, you kind of need to slow down, you know, don't drink too much. And then from there, it was just more so like seeing how I act and understand that I get it from him, even though I haven't been around him. Like I do certain things that I see him doing and we're, it's like, that's literally half of me, you know? Um, so I'm kind of just learning a lot of stuff from him now. It's kind of crazy how, you know, he's, he's literally half of me. Right. You know, and I see a lot of it in him now just hanging out. And I was like, oh, that's where I get it from. And okay, I see that's where I get that from too. Like, sure. Kinda- and his awakening came from breaking both of his ribs. Yeah, so he was in, he said he was in an apartment complex across the street from where he lives now and he got really drunk and his friend found him. I don't know if you've, if you've been in the project slot, but there's always like an incinerator room mm-hmm. and his friend found him in the incinerator room and they were on like the, I guess, 11th floor. So his friend, instead of putting him on the elevator, says, hey, let's walk down the stairs, 11 floors. And uh, first step, he tumbles down the stairs, breaks both of his wrists and from that point, he stopped drinking and uh, now he's just a cigarette smoker. So I guess you just like pick your Pick your, pick your vice. Yeah. But what's interesting about that is that a lot of us have strained relationships with one parent or one parent was estranged when, you know, we were younger. And like you said, that is literally half your DNA. Exactly. And you may be struggling with things or not even know that you're predisposed to certain things because you don't have that history. Exactly. And is that for me, it was more so like validation almost of who I am. It was mm-hmm. like, all right, well, I act certain ways. Why do I act this way? Why am I like this? And then, I mean, my father, I'm like, oh, that's literally where I get it from. And then kind of figuring like we have conversations about a lot of different things, you know. So it's kind of just like, I don't know how many times I can say it, how many different ways I can say it. It's like you you kind of find out who you are almost when right. you have that that running with, with someone who is here, who birthed you. It's like, oh all right, it's kind of cool that this is where I get it from. And then you meet your other side of the family and everyone is kind of like that. Mm-hmm. And they all, yeah, all share that that similar thing. And then I also met my brother on my father's side. Well, I, I knew him growing up as well, but mm-hmm. I hadn't seen him since high school either. And as soon as I saw him, I gave him a hug. I was like, yo, we, we look alike. You know what I'm saying? Because my brother on my mother's side is bald. Mm-hmm. And my brother on my father's side is hair like mine. I'm like, oh, that's, that's kind of crazy. So it's wild what, what meeting family could do to you. Right. So you have this connection that has happened yeah. out of a really bad experience, which is a great thing that's the blessing but talk to me about like how this affected you professionally oh yeah uh it affects me everywhere i go almost you know like it used to be the first thing people would notice about me as oh this this is a handsome black man you know Mm -hmm. what i'm saying and people still do say that but like now it's a handsome black man who has a scar on his face and it's like okay well how did this happen you know what i'm saying now it's like all right well 
for example, walking into Barclays or walking into Madison Square Garden, there's 20,000 people there any given night. And Mm -hmm. whenever I walk by, someone's literally always looking at my face, like what happened there? You know, I can get on TV and now, you know, I I got surgery on it. So it's not as pronounced, but at one point it was like terrible. And uh, now if I do an interview on TV, you can kind of see it, but not really. But at a certain point it was like, yo, what is that thing that's bulging from his face? You know, there's like a lot of social events, you know, in my, in my industry, you have to network, you have Mm -hmm. to meet people. Otherwise you're kind of like, I wouldn't say you're useless, but like, if you don't make connections, you can't either use those connections or, or foster them. Like you have to be able to meet people. But for me, that kind of, I was kind of like socially awkward. I didn't want to go near anybody. You know, I didn't want to have to explain what happened. It was just a whole lot of stuff. Um, so it definitely affected, not just personal, it affected every, every area of my life. It was like, all right, well, I kind of have to cope with it. I kind of have to try to flip it and make it a thing that I can use, make mm-hmm. it a talking point, make it some type of positive. And um, it's definitely been, def- it's definitely been a journey. Um, getting the second surgery helped a lot because they kind of made it less visible. Like I'm looking straight at you. You might not be able to see right. it. I don't know. But if I'm turned this way, you could see it. Um, but getting that second surgery kind of helped. And then I wrote a big story about what happened. And that was like the first time that anyone ever found out. I published that. And that, that was kind of like almost like my coming out mm-hmm. sort of party. Um, but yeah, no, definitely this whole thing changed. It changed the way I perceive myself because, you know, it's like, all right, well, I'm looking in the mirror. Do I even like what I see in the right. mirror now? It's like, damn, what, what is that? Um, but it definitely has had, it, 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 I definitely was depressed and I didn't really know what depression was until that point. I definitely was depressed, probably looking back on it, probably for a good two or three months. And then um, the one thing that got me out of depression was work, number one, because I knew that that's where my, like, like we were talking mm-hmm. about achievement, how you can hide a lot of things behind that. Um, I was able to kind of focus on work and then, yeah, it was mostly work and then working out. I got in the gym. And uh, those two things kind of dragged me out of it for real, for real. So is this a crime that remained unsolved? Yeah, no, okay. they, they never caught the All guy. Right. Uh, nobody knows who. I don't remember who it was. They had me look at a lineup of people and I was like, I don't want to just pick in the dark. Right. You, know? you don't want to be that person that's yeah. like, it was that guy. Yeah, yeah right. sidebar. In that, in that entire, when I was looking through that, I saw my best friend growing up. And <laughs> what? I like, what? I was like, what are you, why is he in this? And I haven't seen him yet to talk to him about it, but obviously he's got some things going on. But yeah, no, they never found who did it. They were like, yeah, we looked. Um, and they, they couldn't find the guy. So you don't remember what happened. You are recovering, working with detector, detectives. Yeah. There's not camera footage. You can't ID the guy. No. So um, we tried to be like detectives on our own. Like I looked. So apparently after it happened, I took a selfie mm-hmm. and it was like a live one of those live pictures. So okay. it was like video and it had blood going down my face and all that. And then like there's a feature on your iPhone where you can find where exactly you took a photo. OK. So like I saw me and my brother saw a logo in the back. and We found out that it was like this perfume shop in the city. So we went to the perfume shop mm-hmm. and tried to find if they had video and they didn't. And then. It just it all led to dead ends. So no one, no one ever found out what it was. So dead ends, right? Mm-hmm. You not knowing whether you instigated this or provoked yeah. somebody or took a swing or whatever, what happened. Wanting to be an on-camera personality and having, um, you know, a cut, not only a cut on your face, but I'm sure it wasn't a clean cut. It was, nah, you know. They, thankfully, they stitched it together pretty mm-hmm. well on the night of. Uh, my brother, the story goes, my brother was there and he uh, met the nurse or whoever it was that was stitching me up. And he, he was like, OK, I know you're not going to use those stitches. You're going to use those because those will absorb and those won't. And then uh, he was like, yeah, you're going to take your time. And he literally walked, looked over the woman who was stitching my face for like 20 or so minutes. Mm-hmm. And then he walked away because she knew what she was doing. She did a hell of a job, but uh, it keloided. And after it keloids, it gets ugly. And then from there, I needed a new surgery and they, they cleaned it up, thankfully. But um, that was a lot to go through for sure. I was I was awake when they started stitching my face up. There's no pain you'll feel like that. That was kind of wild. Um, yeah, no, it was a lot that had to that went into that night. That was crazy. So you get through that. What's your mom saying, by the way? 
Um, my mother is just like, oh my God, how is this happening? So at that time, I was living with my mother, uh, my brother, his wife, and two kids. Mm-hmm. So they were all we were all in the same house. Um, and we had a little dog too. Uh, everyone was just kind of sad. They were all trying to figure out what could have happened, how it could have happened. Um, everyone was wondering where my friends were, you know, because mm-hmm. I went out with maybe eight or nine people, but somehow I ended up outside by myself. Um, and my best, best friend wasn't there. My two best, best friends weren't there. One was uh, pledging a fraternity. He was crossing that night. The other lives in Virginia, so they weren't there. Um, and everyone was just like, yo, where were your friends? How could, how could this have happened? Why were you so drunk? Uh, and then there was also a sad moment. I'm like, damn, he really got cut in the face. Like, how is that about to affect the rest of his life? They, I, my brother had a, a, a five-year-old and it's, well, they're, right now they're seven and three or seven and three. But at the time they were like five and, and one or mm-hmm. something like that. I don't even know if that math makes sense. But um, they were there too when I came home. So they were trying to figure out what the hell just happened to their uncle. Like, And then just being on the block, having to go outside and explain to everybody right. what happened. The, the New York Daily News comes the next morning trying to interview me and talking to me about what happened. I'm like, yo, can I even sleep? Like, it was just a wild, uh, that was a wild week, two weeks for real, for real. So you come out of the, the two weeks mm. and you're healing at this point. And are you thinking a large portion of my career is over? Um, I hadn't really thought about that much at that point because I was just like, I was I was in a place. I don't even know what's, I, I could say I was in a dark place. I was just trying to figure out what I needed to do to get by. And most of my work is written, you know, mm-hmm. so it's not like I'm on camera every day. I'm on camera maybe once a month, twice a month at most. Um, so most of my work is written at that point. Um, I'm not at Barclays. Everyone, you know what I'm saying? I, I didn't go back to Barclays for another like month or two. If that happened in October, I didn't go back to Barclays until after All-Star Race. So I didn't go back to Barclays until like February. So I was gone for a big chunk of the season. Um, and everyone's just wondering what the hell happened? How did this happen? Um, for me, it was more so trying to deal with social anxiety at this okay. point because I already had social anxiety and nothing was wrong. And then adding a, a big Oscar on my face and having to talk to people about that, um, that was something I had to really find a way to deal with. Um, and I wouldn't even say, I, I wouldn't, I didn't even get over that until I got the second surgery because mm-hmm. I felt like it was so ugly at a certain point I was trying. And then I got the second surgery. And I was like, oh no, this, this, this can work. So social anxiety was something I was dealing with, trying to still be cool with the friends that, that were there but weren't there when I left the club. That was something I had to deal with. Um, it was just a lot. And then battling my relationship with liquor because apparently I couldn't keep it under control at that point. Mm-hmm. So it was like, all right, well, how much can I drink? How much can I not drink? Is there things that I shouldn't be doing? Okay, obviously you don't mix liquors. Like you don't mix light and dark, but it was just a lot I had to go through. Um, those two weeks, those first two weeks I needed just to myself. Like I didn't really talk to anybody. Um, the day after uh, my best friend who wasn't there, who was crossing the fraternity that night, he comes, he brought Indian food for me just because he knows I love mm-hmm. Indian food. So he brought Indian food and him and his girlfriend at the time came over and they were just talking. But it was a lot of alone time because I didn't really want to be near anybody. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I wanted to see anybody. And I didn't want anybody to see me. I felt like I felt ugly for mm-hmm. the first time in, in a while. And it, that wasn't a good feeling. So do, do you think <clears throat> that it called up something that was already there, like in, insecurities about self-image did you have that before when you were at 260 yeah, or yeah. what have you was, so those insecurities were a big part of my life like from whenever I got fat which was probably like pre-k kindergarten mm-hmm. first grade all the way through high school I had those insecurities um and then I lost a lot of them when I went away to college and girls started liking me and all, all mm-hmm. types of things but like that kind of set me back a lot when I when I wake up and have a scar on my face and I was like oh how do I, and there's people who have scars in their faces. Like, and now I kind of notice them when I see people. But like, at that point, it was like, dang, did this really just happen to me? Like, am I that unlucky? Am I that guy? Like, I, sometimes I feel like all those types of things, like, oh, it would be this guy that gets mm-hmm. that. Like, sometimes all those things happen to me. Uh, like, oh, I would be late for the most important interview or I would be late for for this thing or that. But, you know, I, I just kind of felt like, all right, well, 
now what? You know, like I right. had to figure out a way to to bounce out of that because I knew I couldn't stay down for too long. That's that's my thing. I always try to find the positive, right? So I knew, all right, well, I can I can sit here. I can I can soak. I can be mad. I used to tell my mother all the time, hey, when something goes wrong, give yourself five minutes, mm-hmm. you know, be mad at the world and then get back to it. And for me, I gave myself a couple of weeks, you know, I, I got mad at the world, but I'm not the type of person that like seeks vengeance or anything like that. I'm, I'm normally a, a cheery dude. So I just got back to work and getting back to work was what got me out of the out of the gutter for real. So at that juncture, did your vision shift for what you wanted to do professionally and, and in your life? In a way, yes, because I had always had a, a passion for cooking mm-hmm. and um, I was already writing and I was finding ways to incorporate basketball and food. So I was talking to players about their diets, what they eat and whether it, they have to make a change in their diet at what age, because at a certain age, you have to, if you don't start eating different, you're, you're not going to be able to perform at a certain right. level. Um, so I was talking to a lot of different players, but like, I love to cook, right? When I was in college, you know, I was cooking to pay rent. I was paying, I was doing little fish fries, selling fish and chips. Let me find out. You were doing out. fish fries yeah. Yeah, as man. a young college mm-hmm. guy? That's, I had to pay my rent. I, was, I wasn't trying to live <laughs> on campus. I was trying to get up out of there, but um, no, nah, I always loved to cook. And the first money that I ever made in my life was from cooking. I was like in, well, maybe I was in eighth or ninth grade and there was like a little festival and my mom was like, hey, you should come. She was selling some clothes over mm-hmm. there because she always had a little clothing side hustle and I was selling these things called peach wobblers. I'll never forget. Wait, it. It what is it? Like, it was peach wobblers, like a cold peach cobbler. It was just like canned peaches, uh, graham crackers. Did you call it a wobbler? A peach wobbler. Okay. And so it was peaches, cinnamon, uh, graham crackers, whipped cream and like some little peanuts on top. I sold this for like $5 and I sold out. I made a lot of money that day and that was like the first day I ever made any money and I mm-hmm. always had that that in the back of my mind it's like yo I love cooking because I always get gratification from people because I feel like that's what we're all doing you know we're all like looking to put smiles on other people's faces and, and seeking what it is that makes us feel good and for me it's cooking and seeing that gratification from other people like oh this guy can cook he, he knows what he's doing so that kind of came back to me I kind of found that passion again and um, around then I kind of started realizing okay well if I want to cook I need to start a business so I started a business last year um, I actually just yesterday got my food permit. Um, so now I can legally cook at like festivals and mm-hmm. serve food and, and handle food. And I learned a lot of stuff from that as well. But um, yeah, right around that time, I started remembering that it kind of took me back to, you know what I'm saying? If I did die, you know, if that was the end of my life, then like I wouldn't have been able to pursue this entire half that I wanted to, to chase. So sure. I started chasing it from there and it's been uh, it's been pretty fun so far. But it's also been like trying to balance that and my dream of being a sports writer because it's not just a sports writer. I want to use the connections I make. I want to work in a, in a front office for an NBA team. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be a decision maker. I want to build an NBA champion. And um, that was always where I wanted to go. I always knew, okay, well, if I want to be the GM of an NBA team, I need to work backwards. I'm not an athlete. You know what I'm saying? They're not going to, a lot of times you see athletes that, you know, they'll retire and they'll get a job and they'll become the GMs of these teams. I'm not an athlete. I knew from eighth grade I wasn't going to play That wasn't your thing? Yeah, so for me, it was more so, I'm going to write, I'm going to network, I'm going to meet the right people, and then I'm going to make my way in that way. So it's kind of trying to balance those two goals. Mm -hmm. But I knew from young, I wanted to A, own a restaurant and be the GM of of an NBA team. I wanted to be the GM of the Knicks, but now it's just the GM of any NBA team because I'm not going to be picky. But um, yeah, and I I would say that that whole incident kind of refocused me on what it was that mattered because I could have lost everything that night. So... Are you all self-taught as it relates to food? Yeah, I watched my mother cook a lot. She used to cook a lot when I was growing up. Um, she's half Filipina and half uh, Black. Mm-hmm. So just watching her cook a lot. Um, I learned how to fry fish from my grandmother at the time. Um, and I kind of just like 
started putting my own spin on things, mm-hmm. you know, and started watching a lot of cooking shows. And I just said, you know what, I can I can cook, why not? And then people started liking the food I mm-hmm. made. And once they started liking it, I was like, oh, you're on to something. So yeah, I would say I'm, I'm mostly self-taught. Um, I learned a couple of things. I bought, the, have you ever heard of the master classes that they have? Yes. They have a, Gordon Ramsay has a master class. So I, I bought that one for like a hundred dollars and I kind of just learned a lot of stuff through him and from techniques and cutting and stuff. But a lot of stuff that I cook for people, I learned how to make on my own. Got it. So what's the what's the interim plan? Because going from, you know, cooking and getting a food permit to having a full blown restaurant is um, there's a lot of steps in there. So how do you feed that passion now and possibly monetize it in the meantime? Well, the goal right now so far, I've been I've been catering a little bit. I probably shouldn't say that because I was catering without my permit at the time. But it's it's fine. (laughs) Um, I got my permit yesterday. So I'm going to be catering a lot more. Um, Also, the goal is to go to Hampton Homecoming and rent a food truck and and sell out there. That's the goal because it's Hampton Homecoming. And then my birthday is literally right after that. I'm going mm-hmm. to Antigua for my birthday. So I kind of want to just do that and then and then take it there. So it's a lot of steps. I have to like create a menu. I have to like price my food. I have to get a wing connect because chicken wings are really expensive. Mm-hmm. And if you don't price everything correctly, you won't make a lot of money. So I need to find the right prices. Um, but no, the goal is to have a restaurant. But in the interim, I want to have a food truck. Before that, I need to have like pop-ups at festivals and, and spread the word. Um, so yeah, right now the the interim goal is to create, uh, is to learn as much as I can because mm-hmm. I'm I feel like cooking is one of those things where like, I feel like I'm an athlete in cooking, you know, Mm -hmm. like I feel like I can dedicate time and energy to learning how to get better all the time. And that's like where I feel like I come out of my box sometimes, you know? So for me, it's more so like, all right, how can I get better at this every single day that I cook? And it's also been, been another part of that has just been getting in shape because I've just been like, I I feel like food, my relationship with food has been up and down for Mm -hmm. my entire life. So now it's been like, all right, well, I need to work out heavier. I need to figure out what it is that works. I meal prep for other people as well. So if they're trying to lose weight, if they're trying to gain weight, I'll cook them lunch and dinner for a week and they'll pay me $150, $175. So um, it's just been trying to put my my hands in as many different areas of cooking as possible. And then from there, I feel like everything will go the way it should. So you're doing meal prep, catering, mm-hmm. working to really expand that business, yeah. but you still work in the <laughs> yeah, sports world as well. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit more about the work that you do there. Um, So I am... So either so five days a week, I'll be working from an office, which our office is in FIDI, or I'll be working from home. Um, and from there, I'm just monitoring what's going on in the NBA, seeing if there's anything noteworthy, figuring out if there's if there's like another layer to push that story and really write about that. And you're but, at SB Nation, yeah, right? SB Nation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's owned by Vox Media, which owns a bunch of different uh, companies. But um, on top of that, I'll be at Madison Square Garden. I'll be at Barclays. I've been to Philly a couple of times for stories. I'm in the garden. I'm in Barclays talking to players. You know, I'm talking to coaches, players, agents, everybody. Um, and I'm just trying to make these connections and talk to them. And if I have a story to write, you know, I had to, uh, I wrote my, my, the biggest story I ever wrote in my career, actually, I was talking to Kemba Walker not too long ago and I got some time to talk to him and basically everybody who knows him. And uh, I wrote a big feature on him. So it's really just identifying people and stories and trends in the NBA and um, turning them into stories that people like to like to read. And that takes up a lot of time because mm-hmm. not only am I working kind of like a, a 40 hour week, but I'm also at the garden or at Barclays right. an additional five, six hours in a day. So, um, it's a lot to balance all those three, but um, it's I'm passionate about it. And I knew from jump this is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So um, it's a grind, but I like it. And you know, you brought up the grind, and I think a lot of that's a lot of the reasons. A lot of the reason why when you tell people you're interested in a lot of things, they're like, you need to pick one because there's yeah. no way you're going to be overextended. And I'm more of a refuse to choose kind of person. Yeah. Um, but how do you manage the stress and 
feeling overwhelmed because both areas are deadline driven. Yeah. So it's not like it's just personal projects where you're like, oh, I can get this done when I get it done. No, you book a catering job. The food has to be done. You have a story to turn in. Here's a deadline. There's a game tonight. Yeah. I need to I need to meet. Right. So how are you managing that? And also as a follow on question, do you give thought or do you have concerns about being under that level of pressure, knowing your past relationship with alcohol? Um, wow. Um, so for me, you know, I don't I don't feel like it's it's a thing of like, OK, am I overextending myself? Mm-hmm. You know, it's more so like, am I passionate enough to see these things through? Because yeah. I've started a couple of things. And it's like, I, I, I don't really want to do that. You mm-hmm. know, I, I'm not really I don't want to do all this. I don't want to start a podcast with you because I'm not passionate about it. Cooking is something that I, I do in my fun time. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, why not turn that into something that's that's bigger than just a dinner party on a Friday night? You know, um, so for me, it's more so I'm pretty sure I can I can balance those two. I've had success. I've had I had a little rocky bit for a little while because I started meal prepping for some people and then I had a deadline I had to meet for work and I was like hey I gotta push your meals back like, no I need them today <laughs> like so I was, need to eat today yeah, though <laughs> it was a lot going on so I mean it's, it's also a learning experience but like when you're when you're committed to something you love it you know you kind of you find a way to make it work so that's for that and what was your your second part do you ever have, do you have concerns around you know, being under that kind of stress, given your past mm, relationship and yeah. difficulty with alcohol. I mean, for me, pressure makes me work harder. Like mm-hmm. a lot of my best work, like I love deadlines because I get work done. Uh, my best work is done when like there's a lot of pressure on. Um, but in terms of alcohol, I kind of like slowed down. So mm-hmm. it's less hard liquor, more champagne, you know, mm-hmm. and then it's a lot of like water in between. I'm kind of like paying a lot more attention to what it is that I'm drinking. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll say no to alcohol, pick up a blunt. You know what I'm saying? Like, is this legal? Why not? Um, <laughs> But I mean, it all, it all depends. Like, I feel like I found different ways to cope with my stress. A big one has been deleting Instagram. Mm-hmm. I just like got off of off of that. I'm trying to like limit the amount of social media I'm doing because I just found myself one day just scrolling, scrolling, wasting time on there. And then it was like muscle memory. Every five minutes, I'd reach for my phone and start. Scrolling. I'm like, what am I doing? Am right. I like a robot right now? So I just like deleted Instagram. And then um, I took a little vacation from work. I just got away. I didn't go anywhere. I mm-hmm. just like unplugged from work. And sometimes that's all you need is time away from your job to kind of focus on you. Um, got in the gym started eating right I went vegan for I'm doing this little vegan cleanse for like six weeks I'm in week two now I just finished week two um it's not that bad actually mm-hmm. if you ever thought about going I've done it I've done a couple oh, yeah. of months yeah, same yeah, thing months on, once you uh, once you get through the first few days yeah yeah, yeah and there's the the need to plan like you can't yeah. just be like all right we're gonna yeah. go to this restaurant exactly. cool you have to look at menus and all mm-hmm. this other stuff if yeah. you can get through that I, I actually enjoy the food. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I, there's a, a vegan Jamaican spot by my house and all I do is go over there and I just run up the tab. Like, Let me get all that. <laughs> I need it all. But um, no, I'm doing that. A lot of it has just been when, when I found time to focus on me and what it is that I needed to do. And for me, I found out that, you know, for me, I just wanted to A, get in the best shape that I could possibly do. I haven't gotten on the scale yet, but I'm sure I'm probably down like 10, 12 pounds by now. Mm-hmm. And um, B, it's kind of like seeing more experiences and, and you know, using my money a lot more wisely. In journalism, you don't really get paid very, very well. You get right. paid decently, but like there's people, first year engineers get paid maybe double what I make, which is crazy. But I mean, engineering is a different type of field. But like, you know, for me, it's been like, all right, well, I want to take my money and and do things with it that can turn it into more money. So I've been investing. Um, you had Elgin on here. I've been doing mm-hmm. a lot of crypto um, and some of that has been turning around, thankfully. And then I'm planning some trips. So it's just about it's been about finding things for me, you know, that I didn't do before that I am doing now. And um, that is that's been pretty much a way that I can de-stress and get away from that. Sure. So your real whole story is basically a testament to our, you know, what the show is really about and yeah. the spirit of it. But I'm going to ask the question anyway. <laughs> Describe a time when you had to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Mm. <sighs> That's a tough one. Huh. Extraordinary on, on an ordinary day. 
Um, this week that just passed by, I had to be extraordinary. Um, I had work every single day. Um, I've been in the gym three or four days a week, and I also had to get my food permit this week. So mm-hmm. I had classes, three-hour classes, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then the test was Friday. So I was booked up the entire week. And I was like, you know what? No, I want to work out. I'm going to do good work, and I'm going to get all this done, and I'm not going to bullshit on it. You mm-hmm. know? And I ended up getting 100 on the food permit test. I didn't get a single question wrong. Um, and for me, that was big because I, I put my mind, you know, a lot of times you'll say, okay, I'm going to do this. And then the time comes and it kind of just goes by right. the wayside. And that's kind of been the story of my life. I'm a master procrastinator. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'll say I'm going to do something and put it off to the last second. But for me, it was more so like this was the only time this year that it would align perfectly with my schedule. Like mm-hmm. I was able to have five nights off in a row for the first time all year. And um, if I bullshitted on it, it wouldn't have gotten done. And I've been kicking myself this entire time. Um, so me getting all that done, putting my mind to it, and then getting 100 on the test and now having my food permit. And the food permit doesn't just allow me to open up. Like if I wanted to open up a food truck, I could do that. I could use it as a, as a side hustle too. Like because there are people who are looking for people with a food permit that they just like some people like for, for restaurant industry, you can't open if you don't have someone with that food permit. Right. So for me, they're like, hey, we just need you to come and be on deck for, for this festival. We'll pay you $200 just to be here. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, cool. I could do that. And now I can do that every other week if I wanted to. So right. for me, it, uh, getting that food permit was really uh, being extraordinary on an ordinary day. And then um, going back to when I had gotten cut, um, treating an unfortunate day like an ordinary day was big for me because I had to just keep it pushing. You know, mm-hmm. that I could have just sat there and been like, uh, boohoo. I could have been crying about it. And for a little while, I did cry about it. But after a while, it was like, all right, well, I could sit here and be depressed for the rest of my life or I could find a way to turn it around, make this scar work for me. And uh, and that's what I did. So that's those that would be probably two ways I uh, was extraordinary on an ordinary day for sure. So you are probably navigating and moving and shaking in spaces that are pretty vain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we talk about entertainment, media, sports. Yeah. It's having done my own moving and shaking right. uh, in that that area. I, I know the superficiality of it. For sure. And I also know that people in New York will ask you questions with like yeah. reckless abandon. <laughs> so do you, do you feel like when people ask you about it, you have to relive the experience again um, or, you know, any unresolved feelings you might have about it? No, because I've I've learned that most people aren't worth that energy for me. Mm-hmm. So when they ask me that question, they'd be like, hey, how'd that happen? I'll just be like tequila, you know, and I'll just keep it pushing from there. But like, if it's someone that I'm talking to, if I need to have a deeper conversation with, then I'll, I'll explain to them, hey, these things happen. Uh, uh, but no, this, this industry can be very vain. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I always joke around people. I say, if I, if I was ugly, it would be terrible for me, but I'm not. So thankfully, uh, <laughs> it didn't do too good, too much of a number. But no, it's it's definitely been an experience, especially before I got the second surgery, because mm-hmm. I, I don't think, I don't know. Well, you didn't see it before then, but it was more so like bulging out and kind of mm-hmm. ugly and it was just like damn what is that and my brother put me in touch with it with one of his doctor assistants who put me in touch with doctors at Bellevue who just stitched it up pretty well um, well they, they took the keloid out and then they stitched it up and I was knocked out for that one and then I was awake when they took the stitches out which was wild but um no after that I kind of felt like I, I got a, I got to press restart after mm-hmm. that and I kind of got to shape it after that and um it's been dope so far just like because I don't feel like it's as ugly as it was mm-hmm. and because it's not as ugly as I was I'm not as ugly as I was I guess if that if that makes any sense because I kind of looked in the mirror at that time when I first took the bandages off and I was like that's not attractive you know mm-hmm. and um now it's like okay well 
this can work, you know? And um, nah, that's where I'm at now. It gives you character. Yeah, right? for sure. Yeah, that's what everybody yeah. says. I'm like, what? Did I not have character before? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> you got the Michael K. Williams. Going on, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, funny story. I met his nephew, mm-hmm. actually. So I'm actually going to meet Michael K. Williams pretty soon. Really? Yeah. His nephew um, is doing a project with my god sister. So it's funny how these things work. His nephew is also into like shooting videos and all that. And I went and I went with him for a shoot and I took a bunch of pictures for him. So I'm actually going to meet Michael K. Williams, which is pretty dope. It just makes a lot of sense at this nice. point. So, yeah. So let me ask a tactical question because, you know, interestingly, I know that people, some people listen to the show are not only into side hustles, but specifically side hustles related to food and people who are good at it and trying to figure out how do I monetize this? So yeah. how are you getting customers at this juncture? Well, I had I had to take a break at a certain point because I was I had to I had a big I was telling you about the the Kimba Walker store that mm-hmm. I ran that was like a lot of time. So at that point I had probably three food uh, meal prep clients. Okay. Um, and I had to kind of tell them, hey, let me get my life together. I'm also cooking out of a really small kitchen. Mm-hmm. It's like jail cells. Because it's New so, York, so yeah, of exactly. course. <laughs> so like for me, it, it's more so like it, it takes a lot of planning. Um, it takes a lot of of marketing and Instagram is your best friend. I had a lot of clients that came from Instagram. But um, if you're in the gym, you have to talk to these people. Like I'm right. in the gym a lot. I'm like, hey, you know, I don't know if you need someone to meal prep for you, but I cook a lot. You should do this. Or using your friends. A couple of my friends were like, hey, once you, one of my friends had me cater the Super Bowl for him. So wow. I, made, I made a bunch of wings for him there. Um, one of my friends from school was like, hey, you made mac and cheese at Hampton. I want you to make it again in Harlem <laughs> for me. So I made it for her. Another one of my friends. I, like, it's, it's A lot of it is word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So if you focus on the food and you have a, a specialty, for me, the specialty has always been seafood and wings. So like, because I make some bomb fried calamari or I make bomb fish tacos or bomb shrimp tacos, that kind of gets around. And um, as long as your food speaks for itself, you know, the customers will come if you're consistent. Consistency was the biggest issue for me and mm-hmm. picking it up. It's like, all right, that's the number one key is being consistent and then having a product that speaks for itself for sure. Yeah. And I think too, you brought up being like a master procrastinator, which yeah. I know so many yeah. high achievers who struggle with that. Yeah. And I think part of it is because we want everything to be just right. Yeah. hundred percent. And oftentimes because of the way our minds work, we don't get enough sleep. <laughs> Who are you, you know, telling? like even when you try to go to sleep, it's like your mind is going, going, going. So yeah. you add doing too much, you know, being sleep deprived, being a perfectionist. Yeah. It's just a recipe for putting things off until tomorrow. You got to take time away from everything and, mm-hmm. and put that time for yourself. I, I had a week off from work and I didn't go anywhere. I just sat in the house. I read some books. I was th- I was reading Think and Grow Rich for a little while. And I was just like, all right, well, what is the life that I want to live? Who do I see myself as and where do I want to go? Mm-hmm. What is it going to take to get there? And, and having all of that kind of laid out and kind of like crystallize that vision. It's like, okay, well, I want to get this way. I want to lose this many pounds. I want to look like this. I want to grow my hair back out. You know, I want to have a food truck for Hampton Homecoming. I'm going to have a food truck. What do I need to do that? I need to have my food permit. How do I get that? So it's kind Mm -hmm. of like having an idea and then planning it out in reverse for me. I've always been successful when I plan things out in reverse. Like, if I want to get here, what are the steps that I need to go to get there? So that's that was the, I guess that's been the constant for me. It's like I have a goal and the ones that I plan in reverse for are the ones that I've been successful at. Absolutely. So whose story do you draw inspiration from? That's a good one. Um, Really my mother's story, to be Mm -hmm. honest. Um, She grew up in uh, Gowanus, right in the projects. Um, She had four or five brothers, five brothers. One of them passed away. Um, He suffocated saving somebody else's life, which is crazy. He went and swam, saved somebody who was drowning, and then he drowned himself, which is wild. Yeah. But um, my mother grew up in Gowanus, didn't have anything. Um, 
came out of there, went to FIT, did her thing, and came out design director of, of Jay-Z's kids brand, of Beyonce's kids brands, of all these different kids brands. She chased her dream, mm-hmm. you know, and she had side hustles on the side. And she's been trying to tell me, hey, these are the things that you need to do. She was able to buy a house and bought a brownstone in, in Bed-Stuy and then moved down to Texas and is traveling all over the place now. Um, I actually don't tell her these things. So maybe when she listens to this, she'll be like, <laughs> oh, that's nice. But um, she's the person who inspires me, who is drawn, who I've drawn inspiration from because I kind of watched her do all these things as I was growing up. And um, I'm trying to one up her, you mm-hmm. know, like there's no way I'm about to be be under her. Like I have to I have to do better than she did. So that would be someone that is the main person because like I didn't grow up with my father, you know, me and right. him are kind of just now getting that relationship. But that's someone my mother is definitely who, you know, I'm, I'm almost in a competition with her, mm-hmm. you know, and it's kind of fun because she's watching it. And she's like, oh, are you really doing that? OK, so that's the person who I've drawn the most inspiration from in my life, really. So what's on the horizon for you in the short term? Um... <sighs> That's a good question. Um, possibly a podcast. I've mm-hmm. had some people reach out to me about starting a podcast where I'd be doing a lot of interviews, obviously. So that would be fun. So what else? Uh, my food business is going to start really taking off. But a lot of it is more so like personal, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm working on me right now, you know, and it's not how much energy I put into this job or and me also consists of my business. But I'm trying to to keep it a buck. I'm trying to get down to the sexiest version <laughs> of myself. And a lot of that is losing a little bit more weight, hitting a lot of weights and just like doing things that that make me happy you know I want to get a tattoo right here like why not you know mm-hmm. like tattoos are acceptable now so as at a certain point you couldn't really have tattoos in business now everybody sure. has them I'm um, just doing a lot of different things that make me happy I like to invest I like to travel I like to do a lot of things so I think for ever since the you know I woke up in the ER I've realized that you know I don't put enough time into what makes me happy mm-hmm. and that's that's really what's on the horizon it's doing things that make me happy and doing things that are that'll be profitable and uh, the one thing that makes that's profitable and makes me happy is cooking so me getting back to that um, really having this food truck for, for Hampton Homecoming and doing some uh, some catering gigs on the side is what, that's what's on the horizon for me, for real. And I know that you said you're moving away from social media, but yeah. can people find you anywhere online? Yeah, you yes. can definitely find me on Twitter. Uh, mm-hmm. If you search my name, Christian Winfield, that's with a K. Um, the handle is Chris Blash, K-R-I-S-P-L-A-S-H-E-D. Um, my Instagram is still there. I just don't use it. I'm mm-hmm. probably going to get back on it at some point because it's the biggest marketing tool sure. there is. Um, uh, my food business is on Instagram at Chris and Chips NYC. Um, if you need some some food or if you want someone to cater you or if you need a meal plan, holla at me. Um, I lost 80 pounds and a lot of it was due to diet. So mm-hmm. for me to lose that, I had to, I basically stopped eating all starches. You know, I wasn't eating rice, pasta, bread, potatoes, any of that. I was working out. Um, so I kind of know what it takes to lose a lot of weight. And I've been through the yo-yos. Sure. I've been through the ups and downs. And now I'm kind of, I'm kind of finally on it the right way. Um, so yeah, no, if you want to find me on Instagram, I'm, I'm there at Chris Blast and at Chris and Chips NYC and, uh, on Twitter. It's, so I use a lot, I use that for work a lot. So I'm on Twitter a lot, mm-hmm. a little blue check mark. It's kind of nice to have, I'm not going to lie. Oh, you verified. Something Let me like find that. out. Like <laughs> <laughs> well, I've enjoyed our conversation yes, and it's easy to come on a show like this and talk about your talents and your job. It's a whole other beast to talk about your vices yeah. and poor decisions. Yeah. And but like we were saying, like we were saying, everyone has their vices. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone has the thing that they go through. So might not be visible. Everyone has scars, you know? And that's been one thing that I've had to deal with, you know? Also, the dating aspect has been crazy. It's like, dang, can I even, like, talk to girls now? Can I pull up? The answer to that is obviously yes. You know, mm-hmm. I can talk to everybody. But it, it, dealing with that, when I when, when before I got the first surgery, dealing with that, like, do I need to be drunk to go talk to people with a scar on my face? No, you just need to to own it and handle right. it and, and, and move around. So that's been what I've, I've been doing. But it's definitely been a, a, a journey, to say the least. So when I first met you, you know, I figured your name would be known for sports. Yeah. Now I'm realizing that we, we might see you uh, 
you know, on restaurant week yes, at one point or getting that Michelin star or something, yeah. maybe. You're going to see me in restaurant weekend. You might see me shirtless on GQ. You never know. Like, you're going to see me in a lot of different places. So. You, you really about preserving the sexy, I see. Yeah, no, no, it's going down. It's going down. Y'all, y'all ain't seen nothing yet. It's it's the curly hair, you know, <laughs> caramel skins no. uh, vibe, you know, I, I get it. <laughs> That's funny. But thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me so much. To our listeners, please check out Christian Winfield online. To our sports heads out there, SB Nation, yes, make yes. sure you follow him. Follow his food endeavors. And if you are in the area, you're looking for meal prep, which I know all of us busy professionals are, look into it, especially those who are all about health and wellness and eating the right food for their bodies. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Thoval. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26er. That's December 26ER.